You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums, and it's here before you die. For this episode, we'll be talking about Queen, A Night at the Opera. On the line, I have Ben. Hey! Rob. Well, how do you do? And John. Hello, hello. A Night at the Opera is the fourth studio album by the British rock band Queen, released on the 21st of November, 1975, uh, on EMI Records in the UK and Electra Records in the US. The producer was Roy Thomas Baker and Queen, and the genre is progressive rock, pop, heavy metal, hard rock, and avant pop. And I'm going to read from All Music Review, Stephen Thomas Irwine. Queen were strained at the boundaries of hard rock and heavy metal on sheer heart attack, but they broke down all the barriers on A Night at the Opera, a self-conscious, ridiculously overblown hard rock masterpiece. Using the multi-layered guitars of its predecessor as a foundation, A Night at the Opera encompasses metal, pop, British camp from music halls, the mystical prog rock, and eventually bringing it all together on the pseudo-operatic Bohemian Rhapsody. In short, it's a lot like Queen's own version of Led Zeppelin IV, but where Zepp found a dark and menacing and bombast, Queen celebrated their own ostentatiousness. No one in the band takes anything too seriously, otherwise the arrangements wouldn't be as ludicrously exaggerated as they are. But the appeal and the influence of A Night of the Opera in its detailed meticulous production, its prog rock with a sense of humor as well as dynamics, and Queen never bettered their approach anywhere else. All right, what do we think of A Night at the Opera by Queen? You kidding me? This is great. <laughs> this is a great record. This is a really good Fucking record. Amazing. <laughs> it's so strange. It's one of the most just offbeat albums there is. Talking about There's so many Love of your car with opera <laughs> with Tin Pan Alley, like it's everywhere. They're just four wheeled friends now. <laughs> <laughs> My ex car. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it as much as she or heart attack. I was gonna say I don't. Without Bohemian Rhapsody, I, I don't know if uh, I there, like there's it. Some, as there's much. some great standout tracks on this merch. Um, Thirty nine. 39 is awesome. You're my best friend in love with my car. Profit song? Profit Dude, song. Profit song. Shit. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, th- th- this, this, this stuff is packed, but it, it, it doesn't flow the way that Sheer Heart Attack did. But I get it. They're, they're stretching their, their, their wings after being stuck with a management company that was only paying them 60 pounds a week. Uh, I mean, the, <laughs> go for so, it. Then. <laughs> so we, we, before we start recording, we were talking about the the first track, "Death on Two Legs," 
uh, a seminal diss track uh, about their former manager, Norman Sheffield, who I learned this week has an autobiography out called Life on Two Legs. <laughs> <laughs> Subtitled Setting the Record Straight. <laughs> you know yeah. what's even funnier about that? Um, Queen settled out of court when he sued them after hearing a mix of that first song because he knew it was exactly about him and he they he sued queen they settled out of court that song is absolutely about him he knew it and knew that he was a piece of fucking shit so fuck him <laughs> that's, that's a rough song you guys were talking about it encourages suicide like yeah it does it Jeez. does dude how much did fucking sheer heart attack sell in queen Two sell like Millions Not as much as this one and millions of copies and they got paid nothing off of it. Seriously, 60 pounds a day per person in the band or it's not, not per day, fucking per week. That's not enough. No, not at all compared to what they sold. So, yeah, they they dumped them and they wrote a fucking diss track is or is not. You're my best friend. A perfect pop song. It's one of the best. Just like it's kind of sweet and clean. And it is just mm. it's ear candy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I, I and I love that on uh, that Wurlitzer, and Freddie hated the Wurlitzer. Yeah. The uh, so I learned this week, John Deacon, the bass player, wrote this song, and he wrote it on the Wurlitzer because they got they got a Wurlitzer. Freddie hated it, so John took it home, and so he's sitting at home playing around on this Wurlitzer, and he, he writes this song about about his wife, and then brings it back to the band, and. Uh, he thinks, and I, I, I would have to agree with him, that the song has to be, it has to have that sound. Like, it wouldn't sound the same on a grand piano. So, for the album, it's on the Wurlitzer, which Freddie protested the entire way. He's like, how could it not sound better on a grand piano? There's no way that the song would not sound better on a grand piano. And I get his point, but I think he's wrong. I think the song sounds perfect on a Wurlitzer. <laughs> <laughs> they were very against the sort of electronic stuff. I mean, they wanted to do the experimentations in the studio themselves. They didn't want it to be, I don't know, what what, what would we say, uh, tainted by electronic synth sounds or something? Well, so many of their albums Kevin's on the back cover, it says, uh, well, like, absolutely no synthesizers used. Yeah, and I imagine that one still says it. I don't think yeah, they... Yep, yeah, uh, yeah, it does. I'm looking right now. Yeah. No synthesizers, exclamation oh, yeah. point. Wurlitzer is an electronic piano, right? It's it is not, not a synthesizer. synthesizer. It's yeah. an electronic piano. Yeah. <laughs> so it, I could see his uh, disdain for a, an instrument like that. Yet they were very prepared to, you know, <laughs> make how many tracks of their vocals and God, mash them all 24 together. 24, apparently. <laughs> Well, but like overdubbed on top too, right? I mean, it's a 24 yeah. track mixer, but then overdubs on each track too. Yeah, bouncing those tracks back and forth. God. But you can tell the difference, um, like compared to what they were doing, like with how thin uh, sometimes things sounded on uh, like, mm-hmm. uh, no, the, even before like Queen 2 uh, before that, like it doesn't, this never sounds thin. Like that, that, that extra, those extra, what, six tracks really fucking like fixed it. Guys, I think nine, I think 39 might be my favorite Queen song. It's, it's so Michael's cool. favorite song. <laughs> yeah. I would busk to this song too. It's a great yeah. song. It, it's cool. It's a Brian May tune. 
And I like that, you know, like he was studying astrophysics when it, he put his degree on hold when Queen took off. But the song, it, it's based on like the, the time dilation effect from the theory of relativity. It's these, you know, it's a, these, these space journeymen go on a trip in the year 39. And then when they come back home, it's like Planet of the Apes time and everyone's old and dead. And it's because he's always thinking about astrophysics. <laughs> Remember that time the sword put out a concept record about the same thing? Dude, I love Warp Riders. Warp Riders yeah. is like, I've, whatever year that was, like 2011 or whatever, that was like one of my favorite albums out of that year. Yeah. Yeah. Just more songs and albums about sci-fi space concepts. Like you yeah, can't a thousand years in the blink of an eye. <laughs> yeah. More sci-fi hard rock, please. Yeah. Well, but this is like, what do you call it? It's like Skiffle? This is folk. Like, yeah. This is folk. But this is like, and that is Queen. They're a hard rock band. There's hard rock songs on this rock album. But this song, yes, is a folk song. Man, I would have I would have loved to have seen George Michael busk in this shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> so good. Yeah, he did this at the uh the live aid thing. Like, or I, what was uh Freddie's uh after he died? What was that concert called? I forget which one that it was. It wasn't live aid, but because he was alive for that one. The tribute to uh to Freddie? Yeah, tri- yeah, tri- tribute to Freddie Mercury. Yeah, George Michael played this one because it was his favorite song. Seems like you'd play the song of the tribute to Brian May. I don't, is Freddie even singing on this one? <laughs> no. It's, it's his favorite Queen song, man. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Come on. I like, the more I learn about Queen, the more I realize and appreciate how much a team effort the sound of this band is growing up. You know, I oh, was yeah. Freddie Mercury and those three guys, all four of those guys are writing songs. All four of those guys are singing. Uh, like they, they all have an influence on their sound. And like the, the more queen I listen to, and the more I read into the, the read about the queen I'm listening to, I can really hear the different personal influences that make up what we recognize as the queen sound. And it's such a cool thing, man. I like bands. I noticed that too this week. This is very, very much a, you know, group album. It feels so different and you can really pick apart, you know, who's writing, uh, I'm in love with my car versus 39 <laughs> versus Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, they even yeah. called the songs, you know, that's your thing. Or like they said, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was Freddie's thing. Like quote, they would just be like, that's Freddie's thing. Uh, so it makes sense. Like you can imagine Brian. Fre- be- I think it was Fred's thing. Fred's thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but Brian may being off and being like, Oh yeah, I'll write the sci-fi skiffle. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, each of them kind of had their part. It was it was a bit of a Beatles. Uh, I like my car. <laughs> I mean, cool. You write that car song, and I'll write a song about the flood. <laughs> like, oh, what style is it? Oh, it's just gonna be a like epical mystic prog rock style. Okay, cool. Do that. <laughs>
I, I, sometimes, you know, it, it's easy for me to kind of gloss over the, like, especially when they're short, like they're in this album, they're short, like they're music hall songs, like lazing on a Sunday afternoon and seaside rendezvous. But that breakdown in the middle of seaside rendezvous, where it's just layers and layers of vocal tracks of uh, Freddie and Roger Taylor, the drummer who is, who was a choir boy doing vocal impersonations of all the different <laughs> big band instruments. And it's like a whole section. And there's like, like eight Freddies and eight Rogers, just like sounding like clarinets and trombones. And then, and then on side two on, uh, uh, Oh, it's good company. Uh, another Brian may one. And that one is the one where he's playing like that, uh, that banjo uke on it, mm-hmm. but all of, it's it sounds like it's got like a jazz like a jazzy band backing it. It's got the like a clarinet and trombone and trumpet, but all of that is his red special guitar with a deke amp going like trying different treatments to make his guitar sound like a clarinet or sound like a trombone. It's like the same thing that Roger and Freddie were doing on the Seaside Rendezvous. It's just Brian's doing it with his guitar, and it's cool. I like when people are doing weird shit in the studio, man. And they fucking hated the studio, hated it. <laughs> Drove them insane trying to do this stuff. And then they then they're back. Like, I guess after getting paid diddly squat for as long as they were, like getting back in and just being and being told, like, just do the best you guys can. Like, and then they 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 came out with this, which is like a an absolute collaborative effort. Like everyone put in their best. It doesn't sound it doesn't flow as well as uh sheer heart attack. Um but I, I can't find a real problem with any of the songs themselves. You know? Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, man. It was the, I the, most the same thing as you. <laughs> Sorry. What was that, John? Oh, it, it was the most expensive album ever uh, recorded at the time. Really? <laughs> yeah. $383,000 is Holy basically shit. the inflation rate of what it costs to make this album. Was that oh, only because they were using the larger, uh, like the, is that because of the 24 track? Well, yeah. And I think they recorded it at like three or four different places too, like over time, I think. And also just doing overdubs and overdubs and overdubs and overdubs and overdubs and, and doing all that processing. How long did it take this record to get recorded? Not that long. I don't think was, was it like four or five months? The recording time was August to November of 1975. Okay. No yeah. specific dates. Um, I, uh, in front of me man bruce springsteen took six months to record one song <laughs> and this is still a more expensive album <laughs> yeah. well when you do it over 24 tracks and overdub on those tracks yeah the whole east street band yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's at least 12 know. of them they were they were on using the pound and the pound was more expensive i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it like if, if it's costing that much for freddie and roger to do acapella instruments and for brian to make his guitars like maybe just call in other instruments if if it's costing so much to do track by track by track of singing a clarinet i bet you know a guy that plays clarinet i bet you could pay him like 200 bucks and he'd come and record but i i like what they did though yeah Yeah. they gotta go full goof yeah it sounds like queen yeah (laughs) fucking tin penale man i that uh, honestly it's it's freddie's by himself stuff that I don't like very much. <laughs> I, I think Seaside Rendezvous kind of stinks and uh, Lazing on a Sunday Afternoon kind of stinks, but it's not long enough for me to care, you know? When Freddie gets to close out a side of an album with fucking vaudeville. <laughs> yeah. They're a British band and there's that rule. 
Oh, one music hall song for album by rule of the kinks well and it feels very much like the who sell out like the commercials in between the songs this feels like the jokes in between it doesn't feel like it's i don't know yeah it's crazy <laughs> the acapella yeah. is ridiculous <laughs> I really thought it was just Freddie with a uh, kazoo. I, I didn't realize there were two of them doing it. <laughs> and then the tap dance is just them with thimbles. <laughs> <laughs> what a fun <laughs> studio. Fucking dorks. <laughs> God. God. I can't imagine like <laughs> being an executive and just, just putting this on. It's like, all right, hard rock queen. What the hell is going <laughs> on? <laughs> Where? you go from this seaside rendezvous at the end of track uh end of side one to side two track one the prophet song which is like this oh that's epic a big ass yeah. Yeah. Prague. ryan may brings the rock and roll to queen i think without oh. him queen kind of sounds like this or we're talking about cars one or the other oh, yeah. <laughs> Or your wife. <laughs> How much oh, yeah, you yeah. We're, we're, we're learning your pop songs about your wife. <laughs> but I think he also did write I Want to Break Free later. So he's he's got some some chops to write non-pop. Man, I I love uh You're My Best Friend. That's one of my that's one of my jams. I think that Deaky writes great pop songs. He does. I think he also did uh We Will Rock You. Yeah, he's he, he's there. <laughs> Which which breaks the rule that Brian May writes, writes the uh, rock songs. <laughs> so by writing "We Will Rock You," does that mean that you he had the idea of "Stomp Stomp Clap" and then Freddie Mercury's? Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. I think it was Brian May. It totally was <laughs> Brian May. The only instrument on "We Will Rock You" that's not stomps or claps is that guitar solo. Uh, there was a quote from Brian May, which I thought was pretty cool. It says it has a couple of the heaviest thing we've ever done, and probably some of the lightest things as well. It's probably closer to sheer heart attack than the others. Uh, and it does dart around and create lots of different moods. But we worked on it all the same way we worked on Queen 2. A lot of very intense and very layered. So this does represent something when you get to a certain level, right? Where it's it's like, how far do you want to push it? And I think Queen were able to get away with that partially because... Yeah, they didn't take it too seriously, and they're just, yeah, they're just making weird stuff, right? Bohemian Rhapsody is a wild idea. Yeah, when he stops, like, showing them the first part, and he's like, oh, and now the opera part comes in, and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, we, we just know that, that the opera part is going to be this middle part now. <laughs> like, <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, and that concludes the ballad, and up next, I'm just going to have to do some opera shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Fred. <laughs> It's true, though. I mean, the, this, kind, this kind of fits in with all those other bands that were trying to do that. Tarkus. I mean, yes. You know, all the other prog bands that were pushing. Don't you dare put Tarkus in your mouth <laughs> when talking about Queen. This is a completely different beast. Uh, Yeah, but it's... There it's are synthesizers pushing. on Tarkus, I'll have you know. Okay, fair. <laughs> I understand what you mean, though. Yeah. Um, I cannot deny the power of this record 
but I don't think it's as good as Sheer Heart Attack. Sheer Heart Attack's a better rock and roll record. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, I when do you stop calling thing like like when you talk about a Queen record? When do you? shut off the idea of a rock and roll record and just call it queen afterwards. You know, this is a, uh, this is a transition from, but I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with this record. Honestly, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being obstinate for, for no particular reason. I felt the same way. Cresco gave it a B (laughs) minus. Oh, I mean, Cresco gives everything a B (laughs) minus. There's plenty. That's his, that, that, that's everyone else's a plus. Yeah, there are plenty the of bad cool, reviews for this. Harmonizing uh, vocal canon that Freddie does. Oh, yeah, the fucking Prophet song. song. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so, good. so cool. It's, it reminds me of, uh, I forget what song on Sheer Heart Attack. Uh, Brian May was doing that with a delay between the two amps. Like he was, he had a guitar solo that was. That was the first song on the record. Oh, yeah, yeah. Brighton, what, is it Brighton Rock? Yeah. Yeah, Brighton yeah. Rock. Yeah, it's a cool concept, and I like that they're continuing to push it. It's a using delay to harmonize with whatever's creating the melody. So fucking good. Yeah, uh, I I couldn't say a bad thing about this record aside from like, oh, it's uneven, but there's not a bad song on it. You know, like what 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 does that even fucking mean at this point? Like, th- this is a Queen record, and this is Queen fucking doing what Queen does. It's Queen being Queen. Yeah, this is queen queen and all over the place. <laughs> You're right, though. I mean, they did come up from a very different. This is a different animal, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, the, it's a it's a metamorphosis, man. And absolutely, it's awesome. Not to kind of repeat uh, what we've said before, but Beetle that is a very Beatles move. Uh, the Beatles came up as one way, and then they, you know, presented something like the White Album or. Uh, those those other albums and transitioned into something else, which Queen it's, constantly evolved with their time. It, I think that's why like, they're. It's like you can have so ideas, renowned. yeah, and then <laughs> expand on those ideas, and then all of a sudden your ideas have become something different than what you were before. Growth? Oh my God, no! <laughs> Shut it down, Bert. Shut it down. <laughs> Are we going to cover a, a day at the races? You know, I. That's a good question. Are those I, I I know like the by title and by album cover, you know, they look like sister albums. Uh are do you know, are they intended to be taken as two halves of the same statement? Or are uh, they in A Night at the Opera and A Day at the Races are both Marx Brothers films. Uh they were watching the Marx Brothers uh pretty regularly, and so they got the title from A Night at the Opera. Which is a Mark but then, like film. the album cover, it's the same album cover, only a black background instead of a white background. Yeah, I think they they wanted to present that as like two two sides of a coin, two they different concepts. With uh, Groucho Marx off of uh, off of this record, um, so it worked. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah they, 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 they were pen pals, and uh, they got to hang out with him uh, five months before he passed away in '77. Night at the Opera and. This is the last album, last Queen album. God damn. Oh, what? yeah. Doesn't yeah. seem right. But fun <laughs> story about, uh, can I tell you a fun story about my wife? Sure. It's fun. Yeah. It's good. Um, we were listening to uh, her, uh, her iTunes cloud, whatever, um, driving around and uh, uh, Prince's the Universe popped on. 
Um, and I was like, man, did you know that all of the music videos for that is on the uh, Highlander soundtrack? She's like, yes, I did know that. I ripped those songs from that DVD. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yes. <laughs> She's the uh, perfect lady for you, amazing. Robert. She is so good. <laughs> She's so cool. But yeah, um, uh, if y'all, since we're getting no more Queen, uh, Queen did the soundtrack for the Highlander. Love it. Which, if you haven't seen, is a documentary filmed in real time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that makes sense that there's no more queen um i mean i'm particularly i'm a fan of the album jazz that has don't stop me now um i like the game and the game the highlighter album they yeah. got a news of the world and day, day of the races was is very good but i could kind of see cutting it off there um i because i feel like yeah i feel like they do have this sort of what would you say non-cohesive <laughs> At this point, they have kind of come into their own as the queen that we know as queen. Yeah. like The queen albums that we covered before this, we could see that they were on their trajectory. And in the words of Freddie Mercury, now I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Uh, Don't Stop Me Now, and though we won't get to it, is scientifically the happiest song ever written. Mm-hmm. Like, brings more joy to anybody than anything else just based on like the chord structure um i'm a drunk dude and i don't know exactly what i'm talking about but i do know that i did read a thing stating those words maybe yeah, not verbatim but they, yeah they, they, it, like st- yeah sorry john please no no they, they did studies about music and song structure and chord progression and key selection to determine scientifically which song currently recorded hits the most you know data points for happiness and it is don't stop me now man i didn't need a scientific study to tell you that's the happiest song ever written. yeah <laughs> gets me out of a place like nothing man and uh, prince of the universe used to be my uh crack a beer on the porch in bloomington during spring break green, green break at the world at 10 in the morning <laughs> that or ACDC. I don't know. I was drunk. Who cares? Uh, I'm I'm glad I can say with pretty much certainty that we're all going to be positive on this and that every Queen record that we've listened to, everyone agreed, like, this is a fucking dope record. And I'm sorry, Birch, I'll let you get back in. Oh, I was going to say, upon a release, a night the opera topped the UK album chart for four non-consecutive weeks. It peaked at number four on the U.S. Billboard 200 and became the band's first platinum-certified album in the U.S. It's weird to me that Bohemian Rhapsody was a a hit, like, worldwide. Like, we know it from Wayne's World because we weren't around in 75. 
but yeah, apparently like that was a real thing. Like that it was a, it was a song that people knew of uh, before Wayne's world came on in what? 91. It's was one of those songs. Like you hear it once and you're like, well, I've never heard anything like that before. Let's play that again. Yeah. I think that's what it was. It, it's unlike before or I guess since, I mean, it's just, it's an, its own unique take and it's so it's so bombastic and so just shooting for the absolute moon that it's impossible to ignore you just can't ignore it it's so it's so wild remember that time during the uh, freddie mercury tribute concert where axel rose came out at the very end of bohemian rhapsody to sing the uh, outro <laughs> nope if not, look it up on YouTube. <laughs> to see. Do, you, do you know what the B-side to the Bohemian Rhapsody single was? Yes, I, I do. <laughs> yeah. It's, I'm in love with my car. <laughs> ah, yes. Which means for every copy of Bohemian Rhapsody ever sold, Roger Taylor's getting money in this pocket. <laughs> I'm in love with my car. <laughs> At the same percentage Roger. as Freddie Mercury got. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Oh man! You know, the, other, the other single released from the album was uh, "You're My Best Friend" as the A side, and the B side was "39." And man, mm. what a hot disc that was! I, I would I, pick that I, up anytime. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do we? I don't think we need to go around, right? Is everybody positive on this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Up. Okay. And death all around will be your dowry. It is. It is true. I, Rob, I, I kind of uh, agree with you that. Things like Good Company and Seaside Rendezvous are just it feels like I've changed the channel. Like it it, it feels like I accidentally skipped something. It's weird. It's cool. I will say Queen for me always struggled with their uh, the flow of the album. They don't have very good sequencing. Uh, I thought Sheer Heart Attack did a great job with the sequencing personally. It did. But once they get to this era. I feel like they they uh, they kind of miss the mark on where to uh, to place songs or where where they should jump out. Don't just case in point. Bohemian Rhapsody is the second to last song, and "Don't Stop Me Now" is I believe also the second to last song <laughs> on jazz. Why would why don't you just start with those? Those are the like craziest. Oh man, awesome that's song. on two legs though. Such a cool opener. I don't know, like if you turned it on and went straight into Bohemian Rhapsody, you'd be exhausted ah, by yeah. track two. I, I agree with Ben on that. But you know who didn't have a hard time sequencing uh, Queen songs? The Highlander soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> it knows what it what it what it has. Everybody, go watch the Highlander. <laughs> just, 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 just stop listening to this and put on the Highlander and enjoy yourselves. Experience the quickening. No, that's Highlander the two or the second Highlander. No, no, uh, but the the quickening is a thing that happens, Rob. It happens in one. It does happen in one. What's it called when all the Highlanders get together? Oh shit, guys! I'm drunk and I'm going to talk to you about the Highlander for a second. So, yeah, as Bohemian Rhapsody plays in our ears, like I was, <laughs> I was watching Highlander Two: The Quickening a couple of weeks ago during this pandemic. And it occurred to me how many phrases from the Highlander are just magic. The gathering phrases. <laughs> Number one, the gathering is a Highlander phrase. Um, is that where all the Highlanders get together? 
Yes, it is. That's it, 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 literally the gathering. It's what happens before, uh, like there Juggalism. can be only one quickening. But the idea of there can be only one does also go into Magic: The Gathering uh, with a game called Commander now, but originally it was called Elder Dragon Highlander, uh, which was everyone playing at the same time, and there could be only one winner from it. And yeah, so without uh, Queen, we wouldn't have the Highlander. And without the Highlander, we would not have Magic the Gathering. And without Magic the Gathering, I wouldn't have crippling debt from <laughs> <laughs> collecting things as a year. And as I go into my 40th year, I'd just like you all to know, I regret nothing. <laughs> and I love you all. Rob out. Well said. <laughs> All right. Next time we'll be talking about Willie Nelson, Redheaded Stranger. Thanks, y'all.